Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, back on the air, another big week uh, in sports. There's so many things to talk about. Like uh, what? Well, take your pick. We'll, we, we'll go around in a sec. Hopefully, we'll be joined uh, by Keith Pompey, maybe around 415. He's in transit. Mm-hmm. So we hope that that works out. And then at 430, we're going to have author Jonathan Gelber on talk about his book from Tiger Woods back to Tommy John's elbow injuries and tragedies that transform careers. I think you're going to you like say that, that five times fast. That's as fast as I can say it. I think you're going to like that <laughs> one, though. Um, so, Jeff, did you step much football game last night? My traditional Thursday open. Did you have anybody on your fantasy team on either of those teams? I'm pretty sure everybody else that's listening is probably sitting there yelling at their radio. Jason, no, he didn't watch it. <laughs> San Francisco, 6-0 eight, eight, and oh now? Yeah. That, you predicted that, right? It's exactly no. what you thought would happen. No. Um, no is it, from what I saw, at least from what I saw this morning, their their defense didn't play as well as they normally played. Though. No, they gave up 25 points. They had to, to come and pull it out, actually. You think Kyler Murray's the real deal? I can't tell. I think Kyler Murray is a legitimate NFL quarterback. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's going to turn into that star. I think that he's got the right coach, though, to help groom Do you him. think that offense is legitimate, or is this another gimmicky, just like See, chip? That's, uh, that's chip. where I don't know, because the NFL is a, a show me, and then once you show me, I'll change what I do. I'll tell you what is legitimate, since we're talking football. The New England defense. Yeah. How does it happen? How does he turn... I don't a know. bunch of guys that are not all pros into right now they are having a historically good season. You know what I don't want to do on today's show? You don't want to talk Patriots? I don't want to gush about Bill Belichick. I'm not gushing about it, but <laughs> I, but you got you got to appreciate. How I I, good I, re- I respect how good they are. I still dislike their team. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to, I want to start off talking some baseball. World Series ended. Ironically, I got to ask the former commissioner of Major League Baseball on Wednesday night, whether Bud Selig ever imagined that he would spend Game 7 of a World Series sitting and talking to me as opposed to watching Game 7 of the World Series. So I got a question. I, you know, I didn't think about this, but uh, every every game was won by the away team. Never happened before okay. in any sport. Right. So does that make Bud Selig's decision to make the All-Star game matter even less worthless? So he he had talked about that in his book, and I asked him a little. He never really – he needed to try and boost up the All-Star game. Right. That was what he was trying to do there. He wasn't really looking towards the postseason because he didn't think but that it was – But you can't boost up the All-Star I game. I didn't disagree with that. You either but. like the All-Star game for what it is, which is just a showcase of the best players, or you don't. You're, inter- you're not going to get more people to watch it by the, saying, now it matters. What was, what was the slogan? Now, was this, like, this time it counts. You're right, yeah. It didn't. Look, they they've been. Did you get at, to ask him about about the tie? No, I didn't because oh. he wrote about it in his book, and I knew what he was going to say. Which he, is, he never wanted to throw the managers under the bus for basically like he talked about in the seventh inning uh, when Joe Girardi used Barry Zito for one out, mm-hmm. and he turned to his wife at the time and he goes, "I hope that's not going to be a problem." Are, are Joe Girardi? Uh, oh, sorry. No, was it Joe Girardi? I don't know. You just talked about Joe Girardi. No, Joe is... Torrey. Oh, Joe okay. Torrey, sorry. All right. I, I got Joe Girardi on my mind. It was Joe Torrey. But and was... why would that be? Well, because he's going to be here for yeah. a while, I hope, and doing good things. So let's let's talk about the World Series real fast. They, they were, the Nationals were the biggest underdog in a World Series since 1990. I you know, will you know, what, again, you know what the Nationals were called the, in 1990? The Senators. Oh, in 90 the they were the Senators. Experts. 
And you call me old? Well, no, in the 30s, they were the senators. Well, in the 30s, not the 90s. I just saw a ticket from the 1890s. They were the expos in the 90s. Yes. That was the interesting part is he talks extensively, Bud Selig, in his book about the how he had to move owners around in order to get the expos to Lerner in DC. And And then the the Nationals are literally there playing in the World Series that night. Is, so. is, it, is it fair to say that no owner in professional sports has destroyed more organizations more than Loria did? Yeah. So he, he owned the Expos. Uh-huh. He had to convi- he basically destroyed them and put no money into them up there, sabotaged the whole thing. Yeah, so they moved, moved him them to Florida to, and gave Lerner No, no, the no. They moved the team to f- there, and then he traded organizations yeah. so that he could have that was how the they Marlins. Did yeah. So he destroyed the Expos slash Nationals. And then he destroyed the Marlins. Yeah, man. <laughs> so anybody here wants to complain about ownership? Well, and we we it have could a, be worse. we have an owner that that clearly has asserted himself in the Phillies, and he's got his guy with Joe Girardi and Matt Klintek smiled up there at the press conference on Monday. Was it his guy? Is that who he wanted? Oh, I think it was Middleton's guy. Yeah, I think that was John Middleton's call. I look, I, I don't think that Klintek wanted to fire Gabe Kapler. Well, I don't either. And so you know that. To me, you undermine your general manager. That's a separate point, though. So they're going to have a parade in, in D.C. We're and, gonna... and, and I have a thought on that, too. Yes. I think the parade should start in Montreal and end in D.C. Do you know what they're going to play at the parade, Jeff? What? Baby Shark. Did you see all the Baby Shark merchandise? Did it's you driving see the, me nuts. the people of all ages, including the 70 and 80-year-olds, doing the Baby Shark like chomping thing? It's just thing? wrong. It's just and the funny thing is, I was unaware of it until you mentioned it on the show last week. Yeah. And I've had that stupid song stuck in my head now ever I since. I told you. I've avoided my two-and-a-half-year-old getting into that for two-and-a-half years. And, and, I, I and just, now, thanks to you and the Nationals, yeah. I can't get well, it don't out. Don't blame me. It's your fault. Don't blame me. I didn't even know that show existed because I have an older kid. Everything's your You're fault. You're the one with the younger kid. It's not my fault that we went to the Reading game and all of a sudden they were playing Baby Shark on Kids Day and... And the director of player development had to tell me that Grandpa Shark has no teeth. Oh, God. That's brutal. All right, let's talk some baseball here. Brian Price is going to be the new Phillies pitching coach. Uh, he was he's pitched in, he's been the coach in Seattle, Arizona, and Cincinnati. He was also the manager, the of, manager the Reds, of the Reds. Which highly regarded your thoughts on them bringing somebody in. Uh, the pitching coach is somebody that we have railed against for a year. <laughs> you know, it's been a while since he was a pitching coach. It's more than at least... In recent times, it's more that he was a Cincinnati Reds manager, um, which was a pretty uneventful trip as manager. He was there, I think, for about four years. Um, He is very well respected as a pitching coach. So let's hope that he can develop some pitchers as opposed to wrecking their arms. Does the fact fingers crossed and shoulders that there is a new pitching coach and a new manager mean that Matt Klintak and what about the hitting coach? I'm going to get there in a sec. Yeah. Mean that they are going to try to convince me that I should go with Eflin, Pavetta, and Velasquez no. as pitching options. No, because Middleton's the owner. Okay, so I'm not so going to have to have that. I have a feeling that there's going to be a second second offseason with, with the phrase stupid money coming around. The problem that you have with all of this is that the three top free agents – Two of which may be the Cy Young winners this year, and Garrett Cole in the American League, and who Steven literally Strasburg. wore a hat for Scott Boris. Okay, but they both are Boris. Um, All three of them. clients, and so is Rendon. Yeah. So as we know, Boris's 
MO is to drag it out as long as possible as opposed to taking the first thing. Remember, Harper didn't sign until what? The end of February oh, last year. Phillies fans are going to be losing their yeah, minds. Yeah, so that's so that's it. That's not the phrase I think you wanted to use, by the way, just now. But, no, but thank you. Not at all. But um, I don't want to get us thrown off the air, and I yeah. don't want to make Robert on the other side of the glass get but, upset but and have to dump us. Looking so. at the, I don't know how Vegas figures out the odds on who's going to get signed by who. Yeah, but, I was impressed that you went with Vegas odds for me. Here. Yeah, Go so ahead. Vegas Vegas has the Phillies as the second uh, favorite to land Garrett Cole. Uh, with the only the angels ahead of them. Do you believe it? I don't know how they figure that out. <laughs> I mean, it's, what information do they have to figure out who's going to sign where? More information than you and I have to talk about okay. here. <laughs> but so, so now let's get into a discussion that, that I th- at least think is an important discussion. They're not going to sign two aces this offseason. So now you have your choice. You have Garrett Cole and you have Steven Strasburg. So let me give you the old tale of the tape here. Strasburg, he's 31. He's going to turn 32 in July. Cole, he's 29. He's going to turn 30 in, November, in, in September. So he's two years younger than Strasburg. Strasburg has pitched 40 more starts in his career. He's 112 and 58. Cole's 94 and 52. Strasburg has more innings. He pitched 14 38. Cole's got 11 95. Strasburg has more strikeouts. He, ERA, Strasburg 3.17, Cole 3.22. Strasburg's got a better whip, 1.086 versus 1.129. I hate He's got a better strikeouts per walk ratio, 4.5 versus 4.24. Which one do you want? Garrett Cole. I, if, it's if not you, even a question to me. Garrett Cole. He's younger. He's proven he can do it. And mm-hmm. he has not had the surgery that Strasburg has. Right. And and he hasn't had the wear and tear that Strasburg has. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you're going to commit the stupid money of potentially a 10-year contract or whatever crazy numbers mm-hmm. are going to be thrown out that we've never heard of before, the highest paid something, something, something. Well, how often do you have these this level of pitcher, two of them, dominant, a- available in the offseason together? Look, people question whether Strasburg. I mean, Bumgarner's out there and some other guys, but these two guys are head and shoulders above anything else that they've been out there. In people a while. question whether Strasburg was worth the first contract right. that he got. Well, now I it is. He's as the MVP of the World Series. Got a got I a World think, Series. Uh, it worked. You know, it's and think back to who a would few you, years who would ago. You have? But remember, three years. What was it? Three or four years ago, when Stra- when the Nationals were making the playoffs and they shut Strasburg down. Remember that. Mm-hmm. So do you now look back on, if you're a Nationals fan, do you look back on that moment in time and say, okay, now it was all worth it? Oh, if you're a Nationals fan, you got to forgive everything at this right. point. you got a World Series trophy. Mm-hmm. I mean, doesn't that wash well, away? Well, except for the people that may have died between then and now. Well, they won't be able to not appreciate <laughs> it anyway. So, If I had my choice? Yes. I still, th- I don't know why I think Strasburg is the better, but... I, Picture for me right now, I think that his mentality is. I mean, he just You're like seemed, me. You're like undis- normally no, no, I'm the he, one on the fence and not it, sure. It's, it's the bulldog mentality. That I mean, Garrett Cole has been really good for a while. I mean, but he kind of petered out towards the end of his Pittsburgh days, and then he's been better for these two seasons. The question is whether or not it's a long-term thing for Cole. Um, and I. Here's the other thing, and I, maybe it's just that A.J. Hinch doesn't know what he's doing, but tell me why in a Game 7 of the World Series you had Zach Greinke pitch the game of his life. 
Okay, and this is a guy who's had anxiety issues. He had six innings that could have been historic. Why in the world did they not take him out at that point and go with Cole, who had warmed up, by the way? I. How do you not get Garrett Cole in the game at that moment? It was puzzling to me. When, when the Astros have all season struggled with their bullpen. It was absolutely puzzling to me, the decision that he made. Yeah, and then so, he ended up bringing him in anyway, and he gets one out on one pitch and retires the side. It, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. No, that, that uh, I'm sure in Houston they're going to be in talking the, by about the way, that it's one. It's in the, in the American League ballpark, so it's not like you were doing it because there was a hitter you had to deal with the next inning. It, it made no sense. Immediately after the game, it was clear Cole was not happy about it because he was already talking about the Astros in past tense, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't work for the team anymore or something like that. That he's a free agent. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I wonder if there's something there. Is there something that we don't know? It uh, just sometimes when something's so story, logical and doesn't will, happen. Those stories will come out if if they they need to or they should. Uh let's go to the players that are on the roster and that are not on the roster right now. Uh they did not exercise the option on Pat Nishek. Smart I'm move. sure that disappoints you greatly. Right. Uh, free agents declared Drew Smiley, Juan Nicasio, Tommy Hunter, Nick Vincent, who I didn't realize was on the roster, Sean Rodriguez, <laughs> Brad Miller, Logan Morrison, and Corey Dickerson are all free agents now. Uh, are you going to miss any of them? Bring any of them back? Corey Dickerson. That's who I bring back. That's the only one. Do you think that they... I wouldn't even blink do you think uh, in the direction of any of the rest of the Come on, you players. know you want Brad Miller and his no, bamboo back. Uh, I don't want his bamboo back. <laughs> do you think that they try and go Although out I have and bring to say, Corey Dickerson The back? one day that I decided to take a shot at him on Twitter was, was the day he had he two home runs. Yeah, and you got trashed a little bit for uh -huh. that. So it's okay. You deserved it. Mm -hmm. Do you think they try and bring back Dickerson? Yes, unless they're going to get somebody else. Okay. Unless they're going to go after someone else. I mean, who's who's their outfield going to be? You got Bryce Harper and Wright. Mm -hmm. uh, you may have Hazley in center. You think McCutcheon? I mean, he's going to come uh, back. Well, are he's you, under contract. You have to make sure he's healthy. He was already older. I understand. Uh, I hope he comes back because the get you with the older shot. <laughs> <laughs> if if you if you look at the team the way they started when McCutcheon was at the top of the lineup versus what happened in the train wreck that happened when they had to juggle everything when he went down, the fact that he was that important, you got to hope that he's able to come back and play well. But if he doesn't, what's the backup plan? Because you don't want to go through. Another season of juggling, which I, d I don't think is going to happen under Girardi. I think Girardi is going to have a game plan and stick to it. And if somebody goes out, he's going to have what the next game plan is. I don't think, and I don't think we're going to see Reese Hoskins batting cleanoff. What type of, no, not at all. What type of hitting coach do you we do, we're look for? I personally am going to go down there and say that we need to have, we're going to drive Joe Girardi to the bus station. I'm sure that that will make a difference. Mm -hmm. I have no doubt. Uh, what, what type of hitting coach do you think they're going to go for? You know, we talked last week about the idea of whether or not Jim Tomey would be a guy that would be available. I don't available. think they're going in that direction. So who do you want? Who's the who's the guru? The name the name that I saw is the assistant hitting coach out of Washington, because the hitting coach out of Washington long is it was with Girardi before, mm -hmm. and so this this guy who's the assistant well, hitting I could, coach we could solve this very is quickly. like a mix of analytics and right. old school. Does Harper like him? That would be the question. That's I, it. So if he if he's been with the Nationals for a while, the the quick quick answer is: Does Harper like him? If Harper says he likes him, yes. If Harper doesn't like him, he ain't coming in. All right. Uh, you want to talk a little bit? But I want. But I want Jim Tomey. Want I, I I just think that that his look. He's a great hitter. 
he'd be a no-brainer in this town as somebody people would love to have back, even just if it's on the bench. I think it would be good because I think Charlie having Charlie Manuel here and be able to give guidance without whoever the new hitting coach is feeling like Charlie's looking over their shoulder, which Jim obviously would not. Uh, I just think it's a perfect fit. There's going to be a clear difference next year between Kapler and Girardi. That was evident at the first press conference. The question is whether Dusty's going to be here. Lawton? Yeah. That's your boy. Not Baker. <laughs> That's your boy right there. I don't know. I mean, they, they extended him, right? Didn't they extend everybody that was on yeah. their staff? Uh-huh. Oh. You want to talk a little NBA? I do. We'll hope that Keith gets off the plane yeah. and we can talk to him. If so not, far, we'll he's just... still in the air. That's all right. We uh-huh. wish him safe travels. Uh, talk general M- NBA. Before. the Sixers got a, a, a game in Portland now, tomorrow night. So is JoJo going? Or is he just staying back in Philly? Well, he's only out for two games. How right? long? It's a three-game West Coast yeah, trip, but he right? could he could just skip, he could skip Portland and go to wherever his next stop is, which is know. good for his back if he's not traveling. Oh no! Before we get to JoJo, I want to ask a general NBA question: Steph Curry <laughs> out three months, Golden State just going to tank at this point? Wouldn't you? I mean, they're well, already getting destroyed. They 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 don't have their entire backcourt. The the you know historically good you know Hall of Fame backcourt in Thompson and and Curry. Why not do what the Spurs? We're lucky Different enough to Tim do. Duncan. Exactly. Tank for Tim. Yeah. I, I would not be surprised. And I think they have a protected pick, too. Yeah. So it, it's, it seems that it's worth it. They're in a new building that will have... People aren't going to abandon them right away anyway. It only makes sense at this point to maybe... They better not abandon them after what they've had for the last couple of years out there. Are you kidding? That's insane. It's Oakland. Don't even. Come it's on. Oakland. Sixers are 4-0. They are the only undefeated team in the NBA, Jeff. That's it. Give them the trophy. That's it. It's over. It's Season over. done. Uh-huh. Call it. Um, did you go to the game the other night against Minnesota? The boxing match? Yeah. So no, were you I there for go. fight night? No, I was, I was not there for fight night. So where were you when fight night occurred? Were you watching? <laughs> watching on television. Okay. Uh, your thoughts on what you saw? Basketball players can't fight. (laughs) Every time I'd see a fight in the NBA, I just go, where did they learn to fight? Nobody knows how to throw a punch, right? It's probably a good thing because somebody would have hurt themselves if they did. Well, yeah, if a seven-footer hits another seven-footer, one of them's going to go down, and when you're tall and you're falling farther, and bad things can happen. I'm assuming if people didn't see the game, they've seen the replay, and Bede and uh, Towns got tied up underneath the basket. Play was actually at the other end of the court by that point, and everybody raced back down the court, and coaches came off the bench. Brett Brown in the middle of it, trying not to get poked in the eye by Joel Embiid. Ben Simmons, who... Quote, peacemaker. Yeah. Look, you with know, his arm around his throat. You know that I watch a lot of professional mm-hmm. wrestling. They call that a sleeper. <laughs> all right. That, that was not a let me defuse the situation. Brett Brown should have been tapping out. Huh? I was very surprised that he did. Ben Simmons did not get any. All right. So do you remember what I called the Sixers team at the be- compared who I compared them to at the beginning of the season? I don't remember what you said five minutes ago when we started. Come on. You know. <laughs> no. I said that this team. Oh, the, they're the the Detroit Pistons. This is the, the bad Detroit boys. Pistons. Bad That's boys. what they. Okay, so so do do you? Joel Embiid is very quickly becoming Bill Lambier. I believe that with more talent. I believe that Mike Scott's influence on that yeah. is significant. He is, and people and the teammates are encouraged. Not just Mike Scott. Oh, they Ben Simmons is is kind of you know I got his back and even Elton Brand. If you saw Elton Brand's comments after the game about how he has his players' backs, 
So I'm going to ask you. Everybody's the, saying the right thing, but Joel Embiid is is very quickly becoming the most polarizing player in basketball. I'm going to ask you the non-fan question: Is this a stupid move? He's now out two games when you go on a West Coast swing early in the season. Well, <laughs> a, a, a younger version of myself <laughs> said said to, said to me, he goes, "Well, they're continuing with load management." I was going to say, <laughs> in, in, inadvertently. He has missed one game, played half of another game, right. and will miss two more yeah. out of four. Out of, that's out of six games at that point. Mm-hmm. He will have played in two and a half out of six games. Yep. And so far, they're undefeated. And, and that's the thing. Mm-hmm. They, it, they haven't really – they played very well last game. Um, did you have any other thoughts on what went on at Fight Night? His, uh, his I, I think they need towards to – Towards the crowd afterwards – uh, pumping him up a little. How, how about boxing. towards? How about co- to Carl Anthony Towns' mom? Yeah, I don't. What think, is that about? I don't know. Has, not, has you, look? I know your mom is is very encouraging of you and very supportive of you. <laughs> has your I mom? I have no idea where this ha, is going. <laughs> has your mom ever started flipping at the bird at somebody who did something bad to you? No, no. That that's. No. <laughs> and look, I mean, MB can't engage on that in, anyway. In the opposing team's arena. It was, it was a crazy night. Yeah. Uh, so now the question is, is will the NBA allow teams to have a corner man on their <laughs> In addition, Is that the question? I didn't yes. realize that that's what came I, up. I, I think that's what's important out of Embiid this. Embiid and Towns both suspended two games. No other. How did they only get two games? I was surprised. I thought that there would have been, been a bigger statement made by the NBA. You had two of your bigger stars that's getting what, in that's a fight. Why. They can't that's have why that they as a league, it. though. Mm-hmm. They can't. They, those players are worth way too much money to them for them to be throwing hands in a fight that neither of them are set All to right. have. So here, here's what I'm going to tell you. You asked about the, the road trip. So the road trip that they have... Starting tomorrow night, mm-hmm. Portland Saturday. Tough matchup. Okay, um, but I, I think they could play a small lineup, and play even better against Portland. So there's that possibility. All right, then talk, talk then, yourself into that. Then then they have a day off, and then they're at Phoenix. Okay, Phoenix is awful. So I'm and remember out for that game. Remember too. It, it's uh what is Aiton? Aiton's the one that's suspended. Yeah. Okay. So and they're they weren't good before that. Okay. Then you have then he'll be back for Utah, so he'll be fresh for for an important game at Utah on Wednesday night, and and then they have a day off, and then they have a game at Denver. So you're buying into this is a good thing. Load, it's load management. management. Yeah. Are you being serious or are you just being smart guy? I'm because so, um, I don't think you're being serious it's, it's at ha- all right it's now. It's glass half full. You're so full of it. <laughs> half full. I didn't say half, half full of what. Full of what? I just said uh, half full. Any concern for you out of Shake Milton's knee injury? He's not going to travel out to the West Coast with them. They're calling it a bone bruise. Uh, I, I think, look, Shake is going to play a role later in the season when bodies start to get banged up. I think that right now it's not much of a loss, especially since Matisse has very quickly become the sixth man on this Let's team. Let's talk about him for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talk about a guy making an impact. They had him in the starting lineup the other night. He's yeah, on defense, he's everywhere. Steals, deflections. He hit a three. Yeah, I mean, he he he's just so talented, and he's got a skill set and an athleticism that it's just hard to beat. I mean, you can't teach some of the things that he can do, even when he gets beat on defense, which is is rare. He's not out of the play. He still can come up with a steal or a block from behind, and that kind of grit. Remember, I told you at at when they had media day. 
there was a, a theme when talking to each of the players that they were talking constantly about describing this team as gritty. It has nothing to do with the, the mascot for the Flyers. And that's what I took away from media day was that this team intends to play this brand of basketball. They want to play bully ball. Right. And in Philadelphia, it can work. Oh, the fans there will are, love But a it. lot of places, this isn't what they want to see in the can NBA. Can it go too far, though? Well, it, it's already starting, like isn't it? Mike Scott's flagrant the other night. Right. Shouldn't have been a flagrant two to begin mm-hmm. with. They, it was reduced to flagrant one, but it was silly. And, be, and Beats had uh, already had a flagrant. A bunch this of flagrants, year. and, and, and he talks got, a lot. He's got the yeah. The, the the talking is he's got to stop. I, he's I'm, just asking. You know, even even I know that the the technical when he did his little shimmy shake, you know, people were upset about. But you, you know what? You the rule is I enjoy the emotion. No, but the the rule is is don't taunt someone to their face. Mm-hmm. So you know what? You want to do the shimmy shake as you're running back to play defense. I'm good with it. Just don't do it so in the didn't face. Like when he did because, it. Because the, the cumulative effect of, of these flagrants leads to suspensions. But That's that will the thing just you have lead to, to worry about. management. I guess yeah. so. It'll just keep him healthy. It's all part of the master plan is what you're saying. Stop. I'm not saying mm-hmm. it. I'm just saying, like, maybe. I don't know. And when are you uh, – well, they're on the road for a while, so you're not hitting yes. any Sixers games for a little bit. Yeah, there's, there's nothing until the middle of the month. It's a tough road trip they're on. Yeah. See what they are while they're out there, and Beetle, like we said, live, and Beetle come back. <laughs> well, the, as long as you can stay up that late, you won't be able to. We know that. Are you serious? Oh come on! I could stay up, please. Mm-hmm. You'll be asleep before tip off. That's what DVRs are for. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. You didn't say you'd watch it uh-huh. live. You'll That's watch right. it on replay. Uh-huh. Memorex. Well, why don't we? For those get, that know what that is, <laughs> why don't we get a little flyers in before we head to the break? Here. No eagles. Well, we don't have enough time to talk eagles because right. we got a guest at four thirty in five minutes. Deshaun may be back. Time. Deshaun, okay, we'll talk Eagles then. Yeah. Deshaun may be back. Uh, <laughs> your thoughts after them beating the Bills this past week? I was shocked. I, I, I really thought that the Bills were going to be able to handle them up there. The Bills are actually almost a nine-point favorite this week against the Redskins after losing to the Eagles last week, 31-17. Yeah, but Washington is putrid. Dwayne Haskins going to start for the Washington team? Is he really? Yes, he is. Wow. He's going to get his start. Uh, <laughs> Andy gonna, Dal- Andy He's going to get his head handed to him Andy is what's going to happen. benched in Cincinnati. Yeah. Who is their backup quarterback? Uh, I actually knew that you would ask about yeah. that, and it is Ryan Finley. Again, you, I'm going to ask you, who is their you, backup you've quarterback? Heard, you've heard of him, haven't you? How Doesn't, could you bench the Red Rocket? Apparently, it wasn't a difficult decision <laughs> for them. If you look at their record, they seem to know exactly what uh, which what they're to do. There's a lot, of, a lot of bad backup quarterbacks that are starting to play. There are. Nobody's calling Me- Colin Cash Meanwhile, Back with the Patriots, the last two quarterbacks that they had as their backups are now starting and successfully leading teams. Man, Garoppolo looks Garoppolo good. looked good. I mean, he hasn't looked great this season. He's looked good. And Jacoby Brissett. But, and Jacoby Brissett has looked very good this I season. I miss Frank Reich as a coach. I, yeah, so do the Eagles and the Eagles offense. Yeah. Let's, How so, much longer can the Eagles offense continue down this road? What What are they going to change? I don't know what they're going to be able to change to make it happen. I, I, I mean, they have they don't have stud wide receivers. Although the wide receiving core gets immensely better if, if Jackson now becomes the deep threat and everybody else can slot down one. But you have two really good running backs now. Which when is the last time the Eagles' offense had two running backs? To me, the biggest concern is what happened to Zach Ertz. 
Yeah. Last year he was a world beater. He was the best, other than Gronk, the best. I think they've had he and Goddard in. blocking a lot for on a lot of these plays, and yeah. I and I think they're going to need to this weekend have somebody in because you got your rookie Dillard going against Khalil Mack. So you know sometimes it's matchups yeah, that are dictating Bears, that. But the Bears' defense has not been great this year. Yeah, but from it's a position standpoint, you want to let Khalil Mack go up against your rookie? I, I don't know about that. That doesn't make me feel very good. You have to make the decision. Are you going to trade the protection for having more they weapons didn't trade out anything. there? anything. They made that decision. Well, they got, they got, I'm they suggesting... They got a defensive lineman out of Cleveland. Who, no, but uh, what I'm suggesting is, is that you have to make the decision of, regardless of how good or bad you think the offensive line is, is it better to keep more people in and have less options, or is it better to have less people in and have more options? If you're, and then the answer, the question has to be answered with: Is Carson Wentz a good enough checkdown quarterback? Because if he's a good enough checkdown quarterback, then I want my two very talented tight ends, my stud wide receiver, and my two running backs getting out of the the backfield and the sides as quickly as possible, and Wentz having multiple options some of which have to be open if they're sending a lot of players all right well why don't we leave it there and we'll, we'll head to break because we're gonna try and get our guest on around 4 30 when we come back we'll talk more eagles we'll talk sports injuries and much more stick with us sports lets people live their dreams overcome obstacles and achieve goals but what's your unimaginable do you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself to push your limits the A Fatty clothing brand believes we're all capable of going far beyond we previously imagined to overcome your obstacles and achieve your goals. Life gives you the chance to push harder, to dream bigger, and to do whatever it takes to conquer the unimaginable. And to do it with A Fatty on you, the original street leisure clothing brand. Taking you into the weekend with the latest news in the world of sports, with the biggest names on and off the field. It's the Heart of Sports each and every Friday at 4 p.m. on 610 ESPN with former players, reporters, and commentators like Adam Schefter, John Runyon, Keith Jones, Trey Thomas, and Doug Glanville. Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen cover the agony and ecstasy of fandom while weaving in conversations about the impact of sports on society. That's the Heart of Sports, Fridays at 4 p.m. This is Dan Baker, public address voice of the Philadelphia Phillies, and you're listening to the Heart of Sports with Jeff Cohen and Jason Springer. Welcome back to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. Jeff, you ready to talk some injuries? I don't know. After hearing Dan Baker, I'm ready to like go yeah. out there and field some baseballs. Oh, don't worry. We're going to talk plenty of baseball because yeah. we've got orthopedic surgeon and author Jonathan Gelber joining us on the line. Jonathan, you there? Yeah, I'm here, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Jonathan is the author of... The new book, Tiger Woods' Back and Tommy John's Elbow, Injuries and Tragedies that Transform Careers. I was fascinated by the concept. Uh, I was wondering, where'd you get it from? Where'd you come up with the idea to write this book? So my initial thought to write the book really centered around the Tommy John epidemic that we have in the youth. So we have the most common age group that's getting Tommy John surgery right now is 15 to 19-year-olds. So I started to wonder, you know, why is that? And after you know, talking to people and doing some research, we really realized there's a lot of miseducation out there. And it's because we have this surgery, it's almost become a crutch and almost caused the epidemic because we have this surgery. So I had this idea where we have a solution to a problem, 
but that solution might be creating another problem, an unintended consequence. So that's something called the COBRA effect, where you have a problem, you try and solve it, but you actually make an unintended problem, and sometimes that's opposite of what you even wanted to do in the first place. So I started to look at other sports injuries and tragedies like Magic Johnson's HIV diagnosis, Dale Earnhardt, Len Bias, Hank Gathers, Tommy John, Tiger Woods, Juku Kim in boxing, and really started to look at what the stories of these athletes were and did they really stop where we thought they did or did they have a different effect on society? And that was really the idea for the book. Well, doc, Dr. Gilbert, let's, let's first start with, with the Tommy John surgery because I've, I've kind of railed on this for years in, in that there are, as somebody that coached youth sports, there is almost an epidemic of Tommy John surgeries, even, even kids that are teenagers with parents having elective Tommy John surgery because of this belief that if you do it now, you're going to strengthen the elbow for the future. Have you, have you seen that? And, and how, do you, how do you tell people that this is not a good thing if they believe that having the surgery is actually going to make them better? Yeah, and that's one of the misinformations. I've never had anyone actually electively do it. I don't know any orthopedic surgeon that would do it without an injury, and that's really that's part of the myth right there is about 50% of people who were pulled in high school, whether it was players, coaches, or even members of the Major League Baseball media a couple of years ago, about 50% didn't even know that you needed an injury to have the Tommy John surgery. And the other big misinformation was what you just said, that it, it makes you better. It's become a rite of passage, and that's not true. Most of the studies, there's really only one study that showed that it improved anything, and it was something like ERA, which is you know, not dependent just on the pitcher, but on the fielders behind them. So it's really not a performance enhancer and certainly not going to separate one pitcher from someone who hasn't had it. And so that misinformation is really the reason that was, as I mentioned, a reason for this book, because I see it as a surgeon, you see it as a parent and a coach. And by the time they come to see me, you know, their arm's already hurting and they're already overusing their arm. And so that's already a time for me to say, hey, you got to slow down. But it's really the parents and the coaches, I think, we need to get the information out there, especially about playing year-round. I mean, Tommy John himself just saw baseball as something to do between basketball seasons. He was really a basketball player. And he had a bunch of basketball scholarships and really just one baseball scholarship. And so if you look at 300-game winners, most of them actually come from the North, or at least used to come from the North, because they didn't play year-round then. And so that's really a big thing is this year-round playing. We talk a lot about that with sports specialization. As, as someone who'd studied these injuries, what role do you think specialization plays in that in terms of the year-round workouts? We, we ask athletes about that all the time. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that that plays a significant role in injury risk. And, you know, it's hard because someone is an athlete, they want to stay competitive. And it's not that you can't play sports year-round, just you shouldn't play the same sport, for instance, baseball year-round. You just take about three months off and do a different sport. I mean, you're an athlete, you should be playing all-around sports. I mean, look at LeBron James. I mean, that guy is an athlete, right? He could play basketball. He could also have played football. You know, he was playing multiple sports. When you're an athlete, you can play multiple sports. And so that's really the key concept to get across is you need to play sports like a season. You have a fall, you have a winter, you have a spring, and you have a summer. And you shouldn't be playing the same sport all four seasons. How do you convince parents not to do that, though? Because parents think that, that the key to success is playing a sport year-round. And we're basically protecting, yeah, I mean, 
kids and parents from themselves at this point. Yeah, I mean, for the kid, obviously, there's a lot of pressure because you're surrounded by your friends. Your identity is usually tied to what sport you play. Um, and if you're a pitcher and your arm's hurting, you don't want to come out. You don't want to let your team down. You don't want to let your coach down. You don't want to let your parents down. So there's a lot of pressure on the player. But it's really the coaches and, and the parents, like you said, that, that really need to protect the athlete from themselves sometimes. And a lot of that is education. And a lot of it is understanding that playing the sport year-round has not really ever been shown to make anybody more likely to go to the pros. In fact, it's more likely to leave you injured. And most scouts don't want an injured player, someone who's already had a surgery, because once you've had one surgery, you're at higher risk for another. So that's something you can explain to them, is if you end up hurting yourself, your stock value is going to go down. We talk a lot on this show about the impact that sports can have on community and society and the platform athletes have. You, you sort of uh, explore that in the book with a lot of different examples. I wanted to ask you about the example of Magic Johnson announcing his HIV diagnosis and the impact that it had on testing across the nation. But at the same time, there, there were limits to the effectiveness of that. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so Magic's story, I mean, we all know Magic's announcement of HIV and coming back to play. Uh, he did a lot to sort of normalize what at that time was a big stigma of HIV diagnosis. You know, people were afraid to touch, afraid to hold hands, afraid to bump up against a sweaty player. And there's actually a great story in the book about Ronnie Cycli, whose own brother uh, fell victim to the AIDS virus. And Ronnie went up and played one-on-one -on -one with Magic. I mean, that was a huge thing for him to finally be able to bump up against somebody and really play one-on-one. -on -one. And so Magic did a lot to normalize that across the nation. But what was interesting is if you look at the HIV testing. So when Magic made his announcement, just like most celebrities, when Charlie Sheen made his announcement, even Angelina Jolie with breast cancer, you, get, you definitely get a spike in awareness. And if you look at the testing rates of all demographics, they all go up after Magic's announcement. But then they all go down very soon after. The only one that really stayed up high was the white heterosexual male group under the age of 40, which had the least likelihood of having HIV. So while it's great that they were responding and, and they were having more testing done, the odds of finding people who actually had HIV were pretty low. The group that still today is one of the greatest risk factor groups is African-American females. And so what might have been better is actually using Cookie Johnson as a bigger part of that story, Cookie being his wife. And there was actually two weeks there where we didn't know if Cookie or their unborn child had the HIV diagnosis. So really the magic effect was real, but it's really the cookie effect that would have had a greater impact on society and actual HIV testing and diagnosis. So if, if we look at other examples, I remember watching the NASCAR race when Dale Earnhardt unfortunately died in a crash. Can you talk about the new laws that, that came out of that and safety concerns, but also changes in the privacy laws that came out from that as well? Yeah, so Dale's story is twofold. One is immediately with NASCAR, and the other was society in general. Most of these stories are. It starts out in the sport, and it extends to society. And so with Dale, when he died, NASCAR rightfully wanted to make things safer. But the way they went about it wasn't quite the best way. And this is in contrast to Formula One, for instance, when Ayrton Senna died. When Ayrton died, the drivers had an organization 
they got together with the owners, with the officials, with the engineers and the designers, and they really came up with something that a lot of them could agree on. What happened in NASCAR was NASCAR came up with a car of tomorrow, which is a pretty standardized car that did do more for safety, but many of the drivers hated it, and the fans didn't like it because they couldn't tell one car from the other, so it lost a lot of the uniqueness of NASCAR, and really NASCAR has been struggling for, for fans really since around that time. And so while it was the good thing, we wanted to make things safer, the way they went about it with the car of tomorrow was not as good. Now, as far as society, it's very interesting. So there's actually two laws in the book that come straight from athletes, Len Bias and drug laws, and Dale Earnhardt and privacy laws. So there's actually a Dale Earnhardt privacy law because during the controversy of how he died, the media wanted to get the autopsy photos. And so in order to spare the family the, 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 you know, the, the effect of having their, the, the autopsy photos you know, broadcast around the world, especially today with social media, I mean, you could send things on Twitter and Facebook and you know, your loved one's autopsy photos would be everywhere. And so Jeb Bush, who was the governor at the time, he helped pass the Dale Earnhardt privacy law, which prevented media from getting autopsy photos and things of that nature. And that's actually been cited in several other cases as well. So actually privacy laws, which are becoming ever more important now with social media, actually were changed because of Dale Earnhardt's death. You all, but you also mentioned the Len Bias situation. Many of us remember, can almost remember where we were when that happened. You mentioned that the Len Bias uh, tragedy, that it changed drug laws. Can you explain what you meant by that? Yeah, I think of all the stories in the book, I really think the Len Bias story has still the most enduring impact. And the reason being is for those folks who do not remember, Len Bias was going to be the next Michael Jordan. I mean, he was a college star. He was drafted number one by the Boston Celtics. He was going to play alongside Larry Bird. And the weekend of the draft, he went home, and then he drove up to college, and he was hanging out with his friends, and he actually overdosed on what was likely cocaine and died of drugs. And so this was in the era of the war on crack. So everything was focused on trying to get drug dealers higher-level drug dealers and crack dealers off the streets. So this was an election year when that happened. And so when his death occurred, the Democrats especially, but also the Republicans, got together and they passed these minimum sentencing drug laws, which are collectively these lead and biased drug laws, stating if you had a certain amount of cocaine, whether it's powdered or crack, you would have a minimum sentence. But they weighted it 100 to 1 for crack over powdered cocaine because crack was thought to be so much worse than powdered cocaine. And we've seen that's actually not that true. They're both very bad for you. Crack's not necessarily any worse. And so what happened was a lot of African-Americans, they met that threshold when they got busted for possession or street-level dealers. And so they went away for a long time. And that was as opposed to most of the Caucasian folks who were getting busted for powdered cocaine. They weren't going away as for long. So you had a group that was being biased by these drug laws. And we've tried to change it a little bit, but still it's an active thing in political circles and, and law circles now is trying to correct these mandatory minimum sentences that started because of Len Bias' death and the drug laws that resulted from that. It really is uh, amazing. You know, we there's a lot of always talk of drugs and sports. I, I was telling Jeff earlier in the show, I had the chance to interview Bud Selig the other night, and I was asking him about the steroid sort of era in baseball and he was talking about the pushback that he got from the union of them believing it was a privacy issue 
and that they didn't want to subject their members to it. Can you talk about the impact that Lyle Alzado's death had on steroids and how that conversation about it was driven underground because of him as the example for it? Yeah, I mean, that's a really great question. And the chapter on Lyle Alzado really focuses on that. Now, Lyle is a, is a character. I mean, Lyle is a great person to write a chapter about. I mean, he looks and acts like a barbarian. A whole, you could write he, a whole book about him. You could. You really could. I mean, he's probably one of my favorite characters to write about. And, you know, he was larger than life. And he was known for his temper on the field. And for years and years, he denied steroid abuse. And finally, when he got diagnosed with a brain lymphoma, a cancer, he, ha- he helped pen an article for Sports Illustrated, and he had an interview with Maria Shriver, Arnold's wife, and he finally admitted to using anabolic steroids, but he also blamed his brain lymphoma on the steroids. And while certainly messing around with anabolic steroids and hormones could cause a cancer, the likelihood of that cancer coming from his steroid use, at least the anabolic steroids, is, is pretty low. He was also messing around with some HGH at that time, which may have had a higher likelihood of causing it, but still, you know, less likely than the anabolic steroids. And so a lot of the bodybuilders and a lot of the athletes, I mean, looked around, they didn't see anybody else getting brain cancer. And so while the media was talking about steroids, which is a great thing because we need to have that conversation, as you mentioned, we still need to have that conversation. The fact that he was blaming his lymphoma on the steroids, and also even now the roid rage. So, I mean, Lyle was known for his temper long before he had the anabolic steroids in his system. And that's a key thing, too, is we do know roid rage is real. I mean, you get increased aggression with testosterone, but it's not as common as it's made it out to be. What's more common are things like cardiovascular disease and depression, and that's stuff that's affecting more anabolic steroid users than roid rage, for instance. So we do need to have the conversation, but because we went about it focusing on roid rage and focusing on brain lymphoma, it really turned those folks who wanted to talk about it away from the conversation. As you mentioned, it really just drove the conversation underground. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you with his win in the golf tournament the other day about Tiger Woods, also named in the (laughs) book. Tell me about Tiger Woods back and the impact that had. Yeah, so Tiger, you know, it's funny. So, you know, you have multiple drafts for a book, and my draft had him ranked pretty low until he won the Masters. And, of course, during the, the final edit, he wins the Masters. So I had to change that story around Timing works a little out in bit funny because, ways for you there. Yeah, it was, it was <laughs> or a surprise it? to me as well. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Tiger is interesting. I mean, so he also has two stories. One is his injury, which is his back. And that's been different than all his other injuries because when it was his knee or his Achilles tendon, he could basically play through the pain. As long as he got the ball down the fairway, he could deal with the pain afterwards. The problem with the back was he couldn't even start his swing. So it was hitting him before he even could get the ball down the fairway. So that's why it became so much more of a significant injury for him. And then after multiple disc removals, he had a fusion, which is when you bring the bones together to form them as a one big bone, and you lose rotation. So he starts to lose some rotation in his swing, and therefore he can't generate the same momentum, especially for a type of a violent swing like he has. So physically, it was a big change. And I think going forward, for instance, I think his back's not going to take the amount of trauma on a repetitive basis like it used to. And I think he's going to have to be more selective. He's shown that he can certainly win, but I just think he needs to be more selective in what he plays. But the long-term, actually, story is the pain medicine addiction 
I mean, he became, when it was first his ACL surgery and his back surgery later, addicted to pain medicine. And many athletes, especially NFL athletes, we have studies and surveys showing NFL athletes coming out of their playing careers addicted to pain medicine. And then Tiger, when he was found on the side of the road in Jupiter, Florida, he had mixed Xanax and his Vicodin. And that's actually a deadly combination. We start to see that more and more in the ERs now. And so that combination of Vicodin and a benzodiazepine or a benzo like Xanax is deadly. And that's something that we really missed the story on that one because that was the bigger effect that we missed. So while we have that backstory and that's the physical, the society story is really pain medicine addiction. And on top of that, combining it with benzodiazepines like Xanax. So does, so does the Tiger Woods story, the story that you just told, along with other players who have been more open recently about the addiction to painkillers, um, do you see that having a positive effect or do you see some unintended consequence of driving the discussion underground like some of the other stories mm-hmm. you tell? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, the, the thing with Lyle was, you know, it was driven underground because we were having a conversation, but it was in the wrong terms. We were focusing on the wrong things. And I think the pain medicine story is part of that with the addiction. So at least we're, we're understanding that it's there. The key is going to be figuring out the right reaction to it. Because a lot of the stories in the book, they're caused by overreactions or where you think you know the problem and the source of it, and you really find out it's something else. And so at least with the pain medicine surveys, I mean, most of the athletes are not necessarily getting them from doctors, at least the pain medicine. They're getting them from other people in the locker room, trainers, friends. And so that's really where we got to focus on is not that they shouldn't necessarily getting pain medicine after an injury or after a surgery, but really who are they getting the pain medicine from? I think that's going to be the more important conversation to have. Well, Dr. Galvar, we're sure that society will continue to overreact when things happen. and um, <laughs> Not in Philadelphia. No, we don't overreact no, anywhere. Never. Uh, we'll look forward to your continued feedback. We wish you the best luck with the book. How can people find out about you and, and get the book if they want to? Yeah, so the book's available on Amazon, uh, at Barnes & Noble, uh, Walmart website, or your local book dealer. And I'm also available on Twitter, at Jonathan Gelber, if anyone has any feedback that they'd like to give or want to know more about the book or the stories inside it. Well, we appreciate the time. I could listen to these stories all day. We'll let you go and I wish you the best of luck with everything. Thank you so much. Thank you. Happy to come back anytime. Oh, we'd love to. Thank you. Jeff, I told you you would enjoy that. I did. I I, I, I told you. you. Know, it's, it's always interesting to see not just what the impact is of certain things that happen, but the unintended consequences of things that happen. The people don't really think further than fixing a problem as opposed to whether or not the fix actually creates a worse problem. The Len Bias one surprised me a ton. I mean, we, we talk often about you know our additional jobs that we have. I've worked in politics, and there's been a lot with the disparity in drug laws, and I didn't realize how much of that traces back to the overcompensation from the death of Len Bias. And Dr. Gabler really goes through that in the book. Uh, it was just really surprising to me. Uh, the opioid discussion uh, is long overdue and starting to get larger, but I, I don't remember it being as big when Tiger had his problems. Right. I remember it being more about the sensationalism of the story. 
as opposed to what well, he had there, in there the were, system. Well, there were so many stories to choose from. Tiger gave everybody basically so a, a smorgasbord. Was that a missed opportunity then to, to take that platform to educate people that everybody has Missed opportunity like by Tiger? No, by other people looking to raise awareness about See, that. I think it was a missed opportunity by Tiger. Well, I, that is I mean, well. Tiger, Tiger's always kind of seen himself and his father always saw himself, saw Tiger as, as somebody who was going to be transformational. And so, and to me, transformational is also pointing out your flaws and how, how you can help society as a result of those. So I think it was a, a lost opportunity from that. And it's not to say that Tiger won't do it in the future, but so far he has not taken advantage of the platform that he had, especially to a different kind of audience. The, the audience that follows golf is different than the audience that may follow football or basketball. So uh, there, there are different opportunities to impact different people in different ways. I'm glad we had him on. I enjoyed that. Uh, I'm going to do a little sports roulette with you. Uh, you tell me the topic. NFL news, games this week, NCAA. NCAA. All right. So I'll, I'll be on my way tomorrow 5 a.m. or so down to College Park. Okay, you're going to go watch uh, Michigan play Maryland? Yeah, because it's apparently one of the only college football games next weekend. Not because I went to Michigan. Hey, you're really a, upset about the NCAA scheduling. I, I really here. don't understand. that Scheduling has got to be something that you figure out. You so, are so worked so, up over this. Uh, well, I'm looking, I, I looked at the schedule before we got on, and four of the top five teams in the nation are off. With, with them being LSU. Clemson's basically off, too, if you look well, at yeah, it. Well, yeah, they're playing Wofford, Wofford, so nobody's going to watch they're that. They're basically right. off even, also. Even the college students won't be watching that. So, But you have LSU, the number one team, Alabama, Ohio State, Penn State, and then you can go down to Oklahoma as well, all off on the same weekend. How does that happen at the beginning of November that that five of the top ten teams? And, and it's not like you, you couldn't predict the order in which they were in the polls, but... LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, Penn State, and, and Oklahoma are every likely year. to be big right. boys. So how are they all off in know. the same weekend? I don't know. Hey Jeff, I was they couldn't all play Wofford. Is that why? I guess. Yeah, I was wrong last week, Jeff. That's uh, there. We go. Here's our I was wrong segment. I was happily wrong though. Because Rutgers beat Liberty, and the second, uh, granted, they paid them a million dollars to show up to do it. Well, so here's the other thing: Rutgers there, beat Liberty. There, there was a long period of that game where it did not look like Rutgers exactly. Beat it, it did not look like they were even. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, could they really lose to Liberty?" Yeah, at home? they looked like they were going to. It for looked a while. like it was going to happen, but I luckily the Liberty think, Insurance team showed up. I didn't think I was ever going to hear the end of that one. Uh, you think that NCAA? What would have happened? Nothing. They've already fired would, their coach. Would, would would the governor have shut down the Rutgers football program at that point? No comment. <laughs> Do you believe that NCAA players are finally going to be paid for their likeness? Because apparently the NCAA says that they're ready to do it now. They they're ready to do it, but they got to figure out how, which is always the old devil is in the details. How are you going to do this? I I have no clue how they're going to do it. What are you going to get a direct deposit for every time that you're in a game? Well, no, the payment is the easy part of this. I mean, we all know how to do. I'm not saying I'm opposed to them making no, money. But, I'm saying I don't understand how logistically they plan. But to the do this. royal, the the figuring out royalties thing is easy. The hard part is enforcing that it's done properly. Boosters find ways to get around these things. The, I mean, the old story back in my day was that, was that back in my yeah, day, yeah, you is, pulled is that, that out. Well, players weren't allowed to have certain jobs, uh, so what they would do is they'd mow lawns for a thousand dollars of boosters. <laughs> uh, you know, they found ways to get around it. So, 
how are you going to be able to monitor this and make it fair? And I don't know the answer to that question. I know Jay Billis says he thinks that it's all disingenuous. I think that he's he thinks like, they're just trying to catch up to a train that's already left the station because you've had California pass legislation. Okay, so I so I have other a question. States, New Jersey just introduced let's the ass, bill. Let's assume that's the case. Why do people like Jay Billis say that even if it even if they didn't do it fast enough? They shouldn't get credit for it. Doing I'll go it all. watch you tweet at him and see if he wants to come on the show and talk uh, about I, it. <laughs> I find it baffling that everything has to be negative. I'm I not look. Would, I'm not a fan of the NCAA. I think that I, would make for a really horrible. good conversation here on the show. You should invite him to join us. Okay, I'll do that. See what you can do there. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other games this weekend that interest you <laughs> no, in no. NCAA? No, there's well, like well, nothing. Well, Florida Georgia is the is the only game that really matters this is weekend, the right? Game. You have number six versus number eight. One of those teams falls out of the college football playoff. Can we fight. give a shout out to Matt Rule, former no. Temple coach, who For has what? Baylor at eight and zero now. Baylor, who was yeah. almost to the death sentence years ago, right? Has him at eight and zero now after beating West Virginia the other night. You know what that means? What that means at the end of the season, Matt Rule is leaving for a better job. I wouldn't be surprised if mm-hmm. Atlanta or somebody in the NFL comes for him. Do you think NFL? Oh yeah. What about a college team like USC? Oh, I think he gets NFL offers. I'm sure. Look, USC has to do something between mm-hmm. USC and UCLA. Their attendance this year is just putrid. Yeah, but they have. I mean, they you, make Rutgers look you, like wait, a packed you, house. That's you're wrong because UCLA has the most brilliant coach in the college football. <laughs> okay, Chip Kelly. Oh, there you go. Right? Yeah. Yep, I got that. So, Jeff, okay. 50 seconds left. What do you want to talk about? Flyers. Flyers? Gritty. Gritty. Uh, a lot of people gritty on Halloween. Flyers are 5-5-1. Five, five and one. They're back against it Back against it tonight against the Devils. Uh, they lost 7-1 the other night to Pittsburgh. Yeah. They seem like a team that's trying to figure out how to play under a new coach, but he called out Drew and Voracek the other day. He, well, that that's what Vigneault does. I mean, right? I mean, that, that he's a leader and he's abrasive. And so now things are either going to get done or they're going to tank. And I think that it's going to take time and things are going to get done. Yes or no question, because I've got 15 seconds. You concerned about Carter Hart's struggles? No. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. and We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.